1: don't but please go there have a look around and you will see all sorts of podcasts there And become a subscriber if you are not a subscriber already and i know we had some issues with the link to the vetgurus.com gurus.com podcast but it's all fixed so go there go there go there how are you mark i'm
0: great brendan i am great it's we've had a few just magical days up here it's
1: been awesome excellent and we've had well we've had a A few bad days, but a few good days down here, weather-wise and work-wise as well. And, you know, the world's not the same, is it, with everything after the COVID, ongoing COVID saga that continues to haunt us all. And I was just thinking back to my my silly days at university and some of the silly things we got up to Um, and the poor students who are now working mostly remotely, Mark, that don't get to do little pranks um, (laughs) that we used to do when we went through university. And um, I'm sure that there were people who did some pranks at your uni and um, I I don't know why, but I was just thinking of one that happened when, wasn't my doing this one anyway, (laughs) um, during one of our end of year sort of let the hair down celebrations in the old vet school here at Melbourne, um, which is this really old sort of 1970s, 1980s, or perhaps it's 1960s building that's only about five stories hard. So it's fairly austere looking. It looks like something out of the Russian Federation. Um, apologies to all our listeners in Russia for that, um, In from the old days. Um, and, yeah, we we were having a good little party down in the common room, and I don't know how it occurred, but we had a Paul was his name. Um, that um he's now a, a very well respected vet, as most of us are from that year. Um, he was, used to like playing the piano. We had a little piano in the student common room there, and somehow I don't know how they did it. They fit the piano into the lift. And this is, have I told you this story before? No. It's a pretty, pretty small lift. It's one of those, bit like a lobby lift at your typical hotel, you know, small or average size hotel where you'd have two or three lifts, you know, in a row there. So it would what probably fit 15 people if you really squeezed it in there. But they managed to squeeze that. That piano in there, and put it sideways in there, and uh, a few of Paul in there, and Paul was tinkling the ivories there, up and down. And we just press a button to the top floor, of the rooftop, and then come back down again. And we had balloons in there, and a few drinks, and it was getting merrier and merrier. And um, we went down, <laughs> we went down to the bottom floor, and we were playing. Um, Paul was playing away on the on the piano, and the doors open, and one of the lecturers who was our second-year lecturer who was quite austere and um, a bit scary. He, I think he taught us our embryology, if you remember the old embryology lectures and, and the anatomy-type um, lectures, and he was fairly very serious, very serious, and he always wore a suit to work um, to the vet school. So he um, the doors opened, and there we were with um, somebody playing the piano and I don't know what the tune was, and we had a few drinks and all the balloons in there, when the doors opened and everybody just went silent because he was just standing there wanting to take the lift to the third floor. <laughs> and, and there was just a bit of an impasse there and everybody was looking at each other. And um, um, and then he um, he just said, uh, floor three, please. Um, and he walked in and then everybody started playing the piano again and we went up to the third floor and, and, and the doors opened and he hopped out. So, yeah, I don't know why I remembered that story, but it just popped into my head. So there we go. I've wasted um, three minutes with a silly anecdote of my crazy days at, at uni, Mark. Um, so apart from that, I think um, I don't have a review this week. Do you have something to review? I've got something for next time. Otherwise? No, no, no.
0: I've got – uh, not today, but um, I, in, in the absence of reviews, I've thought oh, I'm going to have to – and I've got one lined up. It'll be a good Excellent. one. Excellent.
1: Excellent. So i have to listen next week. Dear listener, to all the week after. Um, what about now. our sponsors, Brendan? What we can? Yes. Yeah, so, do you want to chat about one or more of our sponsors, Mark?
0: Well, like I um in particular have been um you know we've we've got Chemical Essentials, the F ten um. Uh, uh, Microchips Australia and the variety of uh, of ancillaries, supportive s- stuff that um, that Doug uh, gets in for us, um, but um, we've been using we've had quite a few guinea pigs with uh, with health issues that have benefited from um, vitamin C supplementation. And when they're stressed and in hospital, we do give them injections, and they squeal like guinea pigs. But um, we've been actually uh, um, getting a fair bit of the oxbow uh, um, uh, vitamin C supplements out with the guinea pigs during their recoveries. And yeah, I just wanted to shout out to uh, Small Animal, Specialised Specialized Animal Nutrition, um, uh, the Australian distributors of oxbow, for having those sorts of products which we can uh, make the life of, of our um, small mammals much better.
1: Here, here, and we... Well, our clients love those supplements that they have there. They should, little, they should um, give them to their animals. They should. They should. <laughs> 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 but they're quite tasty and they're, they're, they're good fibre for you as well. <laughs> so yeah, um, it's a win-win-win, Mark. As far as I'm concerned. Well, I'm going to jump into since there's no review, um, my one and only review uh, or news this week, Mark, and it's about and we've chatting about this before we turn the mics on, Mark, and that's horseshoe crabs and the blue blood that they have. And uh, I find this quite fascinating. Um, Well, where do I start, Mark? It's, well, they call them the living fossil, don't they? Um, And they have this remarkable blood with antibacterial properties, which has been used in the pharmaceutical manufacturing industry. For many many years, and that's because their their blood is a, a milky type blue color because the oxygen transported by haemocyanin instead of haemoglobin that occurs in invertebrates, vertebrates, and that's what makes it so valuable. And they used the this blue blood for endotoxin checking in um, in manufacture of drugs. So it's it's. It's price. It's worth a mint, isn't it? Um, this blood. So they farm them, don't they? They harvest them, and um, I don't like the, the the pictures they have there of these. And I mentioned off off here, didn't I? It looks like um, cows in a milking shed that about except they've been strapped down there and they've been catheterized and they're they're sucking all the blue blood out of these horseshoe c- crabs Look, to looks, use.
0: Looks uh, like cows in a milking shed. If the
1: cows are aliens. Yeah. Yes, and that they don't survive the
0: procedure. <laughs> <laughs> I was just reading that um, that they that about they do fifteen percent don't survive the procedure, um, and they uh, then I think a certain percentage actually are churned into the bait industry on the Atlantic coast in America, and and then the remainder um, are released. But um, some recent studies suggest that um despite i think it's about um 50 or 60% of them are released after the yes. procedure but um but most it would appear from recent research that the, that when you take all the blood out of an animal and let it go, um, they, they don't, don't
1: do too well. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so they're using it for for tests for endotoxins, which is a bacterial contaminant. Um, and previously, before they used them, it was um, it was rabbits, I, th- I think, that were used um, for many years, um, and they were. Um, sacrificing rabbits um, to to detect endotoxin or otherwise and that thousands of rabbits were killed for it so in the 1970s they found out that the blood of the horseshoe crabs contain amoebocytes which are highly sensitive to the endotoxin contamination so that's why they use the, the blue blood from them and that's well the the the, the price I have there is a co- on in this article and we'll link to it at vetgurus.com is a quart of the horseshoe blood could be sold for US $15,000. So companies were harvesting up to 600,000 crabs per year. So do the math and I think you'll find it's a bit of money there, Mark. Um, So the good news is... um, There have been laboratory synthesised DNA recombinant factor to replace the blood of horseshoe crabs uh, that is sold commercially. And... uh, Unfortunately, some laboratories, like everything, um, are a bit slow to, to convert over to something that's probably better for the animals in that they don't get um, bled of their blue blood, Mark. But I think over time it will be a thing of the past Past, and the synthetic alternative to horseshoe crab blood for endotoxin detection will, will occur, Mark. But um, interesting article. Um, and, um, yeah, have you... I think you have seen the odd horseshoe crab, haven't you, Mark?
0: No, I can't I say have I haven't. I No, I haven't. No, I'm much more into those um, hermit crabs. The uh, robber crabs are my favourite. Yes,
1: yes. Um, so there we go. That's my news story. So it's a it's a bad news story with a good ending. So there you go. I'm calling it a good news story.
0: (laughs) I love your attitude. You're you're so positive and uplifting and you look for the good in everything, Brendan. That's your nature.
1: And you've got a good one, haven't you? I hope.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll see about that. Um, My story is about Victoria's largest dingo sanctuary, um, the Dingo Discovery Sanctuary and Research Centre in the Macedon Ranges, and they've had some interesting things happen this winter. Um Winter is the time that the dingoes generally um uh breed um and there was a lot of concern that uh you know the horrible fires which cloaked the Macedon ranges in uh January and February this year um that um that that might suppress reproductive activity, the exposure and stress. Um, the exposure to smoke and stress that that causes might have uh, inhibited the reproductive activity of these captive animals. But interestingly enough, despite the fact that they, um, you know, normally have litters of three or maybe four, the um, average number of uh, in the litters at the the sanctuary have gone up for um, for some reason, uh, quite against the expectations of um, of everyone there. So um, they weren't near. Any fires, but they were completely blanketed in smoke at times, and so um, it was. They were very worried that the neg- the effect would be negative. Um, in fact, the uh, Jasmine Huffschmidt the senior lecturer in wildlife health at Melbourne University, said the associated effects from smoke were most often detrimental, causing increased rate of abortion or even fetal malformation. So the increased reproductive success has come as a bit of a surprise, Brendan. So um, I think, though, I think that... Well, there, there was two things I wanted to say about this: the terminal investment hypothesis. Um, I, I, I think that this this is a um, a, a theory which argues that um, where animals and plants are under high environmental stress, they throw a significant reproductive effort just before they peg it to try and in, in, uh, ensure the species survival. It's the whole, you know, fire. Burns the tree. The tree, the the particularly, you know, grass tree throws a flowering spike just as it's been badly burnt, um, and hopefully that ensures the survival of the species if the traumatized plant doesn't make it through the stress of the fire. Um, and they were wondering if something like this had happened with the the um, with the dingoes. But I I'm much more pragmatic. I think there are going to be other factors in the in the um, in the Uh, circumstances at the sanctuary maybe coronavirus has meant far fewer people are going there and the absence of visitors and the you know raucous nature of viewers and the privacy that affords maybe that's enhanced the reproductive efforts i think there's probably other things going on i don't
1: yes well jasmine and i know jazz very well so um um shout out to to Jazz. She does mention a couple of things that um, she says there's a chance there's other reasons, as you've mentioned there, Mark, um, for large litters such as different couplings or that different genetic factors um, that have probably been going on there, that they're more likely than than the connection with the with the smokers you sort of hinted at. So I think she's on the same page as you. And um, yeah, Still I don't know nice. why we put this... It's good. I don't know it's what good to put have story on there. It's good. To have... well, it's a good news story. Yeah, that's... Lots of dingo pups running around. Um, I, gee, I was going to tell you a story about dingoes in a zoo I was working with, but it's a sad story. So I'm not going to talk about that and breeding um, and stopping them breed because um, – yeah. Yeah, it wasn't a good story. So I'll stop right there <laughs> with that one. But there's some nice little pictures of dingo pups there. We, I must admit, we see, uh, I can't remember the last dingo I've seen, but we did have two, maybe three clients that had had um, purebred dingoes as, as as pets, Mark. Um, do you, have you seen any? Yes,
0: I've seen. We've, I think we've got... Two clients who have dingoes as pets um, they have to be specially licensed in New South Wales they can't just keep them like dogs um, but um, but yeah it's uh, it's they they're beautiful animals I don't know how much um, how much how good a pet they should they be make. A pet.
1: yes 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 um, I I agree with you there I agree with you there well there we go Two two recently. Reasonably positive news stories there, Mark, um, which is a bit of a surprise for us. Sometimes we um, we tend to pick up on the negatives, and that's a bit like the world is, isn't it? Negative negative reports are often the ones that you tend to notice more than the than the positive news. Um, so I need to go back to positive news um, web, website, Mark, a little bit more often. Um, so our main news, our main news to our main topic this week mark is it's a bit of a catch-all one but I thought it was an interesting one and a good one for vets who are not dealing with a little bunny rabbits very often and that's respiratory disease in rabbits um, because it's a well I certainly still find them a challenge and the reason why I put this one on the topic I had a rabbit in today mark that that has had ongoing respiratory discomfort and and um, increased respiratory effort that we've been playing around a little bit with some um, trial therapies with it, but I had it back in today for what's well, got dental disease, surprisingly enough as well, um, for a bit of a workup and its lungs are an absolute mess and I did a, a bit of a tap of its chest. But we'll talk about that with the workup for these cases um, shortly, Mark. So um, I think the, the the first thing I'd like to say is it's not an uncommon problem that we see in our practice, Mark. I don't know about you with with, with our rabbits that we see with a rabbit that is. Um, having trouble breathing or, or showing signs of respiratory illness or, or or even mild distress. Um it's I think as a species go, it's it's much more common um in rabbits and you know, say if I took dogs or cats, I see a hell of a lot percentage-wise more in, in, in rabbits. Do you find anything similar?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that pattern repeats itself. I think one of the things that contributes to it, Brendan, is the smaller proportionate size of the chest that um, a relatively small problem in the chest of a bunny, the size of the lungs compared to the size of their body, means that they they um, they are more easily compromised. But there are, as you hinted, a number of um, p- disease processes we commonly see, um, and it would be very common for us to have a frantically panting bunny come into the, the waiting room and have to be rushed through for um, some degree of urgent treatment.
1: Yes, and I think that's one of the key things we'd like to get across in this topic today, um, tonight, this evening, this morning, depending on when you're listening to it, middle of the night perhaps, or just before you go into bed, is that often they're very compromised, these animals. So if you have a rabbit that's struggling to breathe, you need to treat it, which it is as, as a serious, if not critically ill patient, remembering that these animals are obligate nasal breathers. So if the rabbit's struggling to breathe through that nose and we've got upper and or lower respiratory problems, it's going to be, or both, then it's going to be really compromised. And I know that you've probably seen rabbits that have upper respiratory problems and um, they end up mouth-breathing, Mark. And in my mind, if I see a rabbit mouth-breathing, it's... um. Not breathe in very much um, in a few minutes after that, um, in my experience. So it's it's not a nice sight to see. So if we have a rabbit that even has mild respiratory signs, and remember we're dealing with a prey species as well, that um, it's probably moderately if not severely compromised. So we do need to treat it with kid gloves and be very, very careful about our workup. And even despite that, and we'll talk about that in a sec, in my experience anyway, maybe it's me, a large percentage of these um, end up being a disaster and we end up having to use an AC animal or, or, or it beats us to to it um, because they're, they're, they're very difficult to deal with. Um, so they can be a challenge. Um, so getting back to basics, Mark, what do we do when we get presented with that animal?
0: Well, I think you've got to make an assessment about how distressed it is. And I think in our practice, we really... Uh, value the reception team who regularly identify these problems as and and the complicated thing is that the owners might not necessarily pick up on the fact that the the uh the rabbit is breathing very diff- you know with markedly increased effort um and our reception team does a great job of identifying those and does regularly distill off the most troubled ones, get them through and uh, get them into a quiet part of the hospital where we can pump oxygen into a little oxygen tent um, and try and stabilize them. Because as you said, if, uh, if they're noticeably, if they're having trouble breathing um, and we don't do anything, then they won't be having trouble breathing very shortly.
1: Exactly. So it's keeping the animal alive, isn't it? It's prioritizing your work up there and not doing that mistake that we all make, especially when we're young and gung-ho with any patient presented with us and, and thinking that we need to do everything at once and let's take the blood let's give it a bit of oxygen let's put the catheter in let's take the radiograph of the chest um, and let's do it all now um yeah sure you'll be doing it all now but you'll also be doing a, a necropsy very soon afterwards won't you mark so it's keeping it alive doing one thing at a time giving it the oxygen using things like those oxygen tents and we use the very, com- um, very frequently we use the Buster brand, Cruise Buster um, ICU um, oxygen tent, which is a fold-up little tent that's available worldwide and then it's very affordable and we love that little thing um, it's because it's so easy to... Um, set up and and to um, put an animal in there that's compromised and the equivalent of an oxygen 10 is ready to go very, very quickly. So we stabilise it a bit and then we prioritise things and we decide, okay, what's our most important step with this animal first? One, um, help it breathe a little bit better from... Get in some oxygen. Um, number two, if it has any sort of nasal blockage that we can obviously see there, and the classic one there is that sort of white pus caked around the nostrils there, then we obviously try and bathe that off um, straight away with that animal. Then we decide, do we, do, you know, what's our next step? What's the most important thing that's going to tell us what's going on with this? Is it, is it sucking a bit of blood out of it, which we'll want to do at some stage anyway? Or is it trying to, is it stable enough to do a, a stand in or, or a, um, or a, or a um, lateral radiograph um, with it, um, with a little bit of pain relief or, or a very slight sedative on board. Um, so it's it's yeah, it's prioritising things and trying to differentiate what's the potential cause of this respiratory distress in that animal. And the, and the ones that are fantastic, which uh, if you end up dealing with rabbits, you will see them um, and you will get them. And the ones with, that, that have that real respiratory distress distress, and often sneezing fits due to a grass seed or, or a whole blade of grass or more than one blade of grass or, or an horn of... Um, um, of um, hay or something up the nose mark um, and you you can manage to grab it out and show it um, and immediately provide relief to that patient have you had those
0: they 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 definitely are you know there's there's a couple of sorts of cases that we all get the most gratification from and and just looking in the nostril with some magnification seeing the very corner of something dark and thinking that might be something to do with a piece of grass grabbing it with some fine forceps and pulling out a four inch chunk of grass there's few feelings quite as gratifying as that brendan
1: it's so satisfying. It's like finding a splinter, isn't it, <laughs> in your hand that you finally get out. and That sharp pain of pulling it out, but then that dull pain of yes, I've got it, and ah, um, oh, it's good, isn't it? <laughs> no pain, no gain with those. So yes, and that's one of the possible causes that we talk about with these these cases: foreign bodies um, somewhere in the respiratory tract, especially those upper respiratory ones, um, with them as well. Um, so let's say we stabilise this patient, Mark, and we've done a few little diagnostic there. We've 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 um, managed to, to stabilise enough to take some bloods and perhaps um, zap a plain radiograph or two of the chests. there. Um, what sort of things do you, would you chat to a, a new graduate or, or somebody inexperienced with rabbits about the sorts of things that you'd be seeing or, or, or any tips well, we, um, we sort regarding...
0: Well, we, I was going to say we sort of – um, we, our tactic is to try and um, establish the, the nature of the, you know, the source of the problem. Is it predominantly an upper respiratory tract issue, like you said, a piece of grass in the nasal cavity, um, or is it a lower respiratory tract? Do we have a lung issue? We try and – it's – Uh, it would seem on the surface of it that that would be a relatively easy distinction to make. But sometimes it can be surprisingly difficult and um, the radiographs obviously help, um, but they can, those standing radiographs can be, you know, you've just got to catch the rabbit breathing fast at the wrong sort of phase of its breath um, and you might not get diagnostic films straight off the bat for some of the conditions in the chest.
1: They can be a real challenge and you've nailed it there, Mark, with the the thought that, yeah, we we may not be dealing with a respiratory disease in some of these cases. And and one of the things that I always mention to to new experienced people with dealing with rabbits is one of the things that can be causing respiratory distress in them is is any other disease <laughs> potentially, um, but painful procedures as well, or painful um, illnesses with them. So, and the other big one there is cardiac disease as well, not just respiratory. So, it's differentiating your respiratory from your cardiac disease, um, and the obvious ways of doing that, apart from your plain radiographs, so your other sort of diagnostics to differentiate the two systems there or the two two sources there. Um, so, you know, I think. Not just being blinking and thinking this is respiratory disease, and thinking okay, it's a rabbit. We we differentiated into upper or lower respiratory disease. Um, don't jump to that conclusion initially, and, and 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 think broader and think okay, is it respiratory or not? Is it chest or not? Is it outside the chest or not? And um, slowly narrow things down because I think we've all made those, those mistakes, Mark, and I certainly have with 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 jump into conclusion. Um, um, that it is just respiratory and it may not be. And
0: particularly you you uh, mention um, other organ systems. Uh, we've had a couple of uh, rabbits that have come to us in what appears to be respiratory distress. They pass away um, and it does transpire at postmortem that they've had a ruptured viscous. They've had a, a bit of intestine rupture and that extreme pain in that circumstance, um, it definitely makes them... Uh, look like they're in a lot of trouble with their breathing. But um, as you said, the focus can be elsewhere. The other thing that uh, talking about other diseases, um, and every time we talk about anything to do with rabbits, it regularly, somewhere in the discussion, we end up talking about their teeth. Um, and it would commonly be the case for us, particularly in those uh, rabbits that have... Um, nasal problems, um, that the nature of those nasal problems may well be associated with um, uh, um, problems with maxillary um, teeth and, uh, and those radiographs that you take um, should... One of the things you should focus on is trying to get images that rule in or rule out the potential damage from teeth in the nasal cavity that triggers these problems.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And it is such a common problem, isn't it, with um, dental disease leading to upper respiratory issues and potentially even lower respiratory disease secondarily with the Mark. So, um, yes, and the other big one that I always, been a rabbit again, that we always consider, especially if we've got a female rabbit there that may not have been desexed or desexed at a very um, mature stage, um, it is not rare for that... Um, you try and add no carcinoma that has metastasized to the chest. There, um, yes, we're not seeing them every week, but um, you need to always put it on your differential list of a rabbit that has a pretty horrible looking chest cavity, and it's a female that um, was not desexed at, at a young age, Mark. So it's something I always bear in mind as well.
0: What about um, so? I was going to ask you yeah. um, while we're speaking of. Uh, Of tumours and I think um, we we probably, we've definitely seen one rabbit that had METs from the uterine adenocarcinoma but we've seen a few rabbits that have um, uh, lymphosarcoma and even more that have thymomas. Have you seen these rabbits, Brendan? Great
1: point, Mark. Excellent point. Yes, the other neoplastic conditions, yeah, definitely, and and the classic one there is the thymomas. and so the cranial chest cavity of the the rabbit, we have a mass there. Um, so it's something we need to put on the list for these for these little rabbits there, Mark. And I think we need to do a another podcast, another separate one um, on perhaps that those individual disease processes um, as well with them. Um, so yes, you're absolutely spot on there. Um, I think we. I want to sort of lean towards um, another aspect of this um, overview, Mark, and yes. the, um, the sorts of testing that we can do with we, these ones, well, assuming we, that we. You you did some today. I want to know how it went. Tell us what you did and how it went. Uh, okay, so that one. Yeah. Well, so, okay, so that. Okay, so this individual case. Yes. So it was a rabbit that that had some pretty horrible um, lung changes in the in the central um chest cavity there in the high-lar region there um sort of a mixed pattern there um, that when we'd seen it several several months ago and an obvious um inspiratory um increased effort and uh initially I thought it may have been a um a pneumonia that was going on and we do see um and I'm sure you do too mark a a, a fair percentage of respiratory disease cases of rabbits that do uh, have um, um, infectious etiology with them. Um, So we did put it on a bit of a trial. It wasn't one that we worked up further at that stage for various reasons and it had very little, if any, response to an antibiotic um, um, cause. So it was back in for the dental but also um, repeat radiographs and the chest is a bit of a mess in there. Um, So... I scoped it, um and that's another thing we can do um with these fairly easily and readily. I just use a rigid scope. I didn't use a really fine, flexible one, which I could get fairly deep into the into the um into the airways there, but I just scoped it to the Laryngeal area and through the glottis into the into the cranial um, trachea there because when I first looked at it a few months ago it had a lot of edema around the um around the laryngeal region really horrible edema so I wasn't quite sure what was going on with that and I can't remember whether I put it on some frusemide at that stage actually but um. And that's all gone, and the proximal trachea looked really good. Um, but I thought I'd just do a little tap of the chest of that animal. And, and like you would with most other species there, I was just using a fairly fine gauge needle, um, having the, the rabbits been held in sternal recumbency while it was under the anesthesia. And um, I popped a little needle in there with a, with a three-mil syringe and managed to get one mil of... A viscous fluid out straight away um, from that chest cavity so i'm a bit concerned about this i've sent it off to the lab and more we'll done a few smears of it I, I didn't have time to look at the smears i've just sent them off today so i'm a bit suspicious that we might have something nasty in there um, and hopefully we'll get something back from it so it leads me to the other thing that that some people still do in rabbits and it is a it isn't in my opinion, it is a riskier procedure than some other species, but I still perform it sometimes in rabbits, and that's a, a bronchoalveolar lavage in them. And you mentioned at the start of this topic, Mark, that they have that small little chest cavity there compared for, with the body, um, rest of the body with them, and I think that's part of the reason why everything's um, pretty compact there and they are a bit of a increased risk of causing... Further issues if um, if you're doing procedures like BAL, so I certainly think twice about doing them or three times with with rabbits, but I still occasionally do them, but it's pretty rare that I do. So I was, I, I tend to go with those little taps first. I don't know what you what your thoughts are on Mark because I regard them as fairly um, non-invasive to do to that little um, FNA type. Um, Thracocentesis type um, tap with them, yeah. So that's what I did. So yeah, the results are pending on that one, Mark. Um, and um, but I'm not too hopeful with it.
0: What? Tell me, tell me which antibi- oh, Which antibiotics you use most frequently? And because the there, if we were to have one of these rabbits, um, we weren't able to do a BAL, but they had a, a high white cell count. We would start them on antibiotics. We're often, um, I, I. I um, I'm not often able to get good samples um, in the cases I think that are
1: infectious, yeah. um, and I think the or sa- well, they just don't culture, do yeah, they? Yeah. Um, yeah. So what do you start them on? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, generally speaking, we we uh, use uh, trimethoprim sulfur. One of the trimethoprim sulfur drugs is our first choice. I've done in the literature. I have noticed that they talk a lot about the fluoroquinolones, but um, we don't we've really hold off on using, um, Enro in these cases. And um, my impression is it's narrower spectrum means that we often miss. And I know that there's a lot of talk about pastoralosis, um, everything rabbits had when I was at university was pastoralosis. And, uh, and so, uh, um, Pasturella should be sensitive to enro, uh, and um, and obviously penicillins. The other one that uh, that we'll sometimes think about in in these situations, but never yeah. never orally. Um, but um, but yeah, TMPs is probably our first choice.
1: Well, I tend to go with the one you mentioned. Then that's often we start them on the penicillin injectable. Mark is is sort of my um, choice uh, when I don't have another choice. Yeah. Um, with them. This rabbit went home with nothing. Um, I'm waiting for the results um, <laughs> tomorrow before we decide on, on whether to put it back on anything. And I'm just a bit suspicious that we might have a neoplastic process going on with it. Um, any other thoughts of other other potential... Causes, Mark, with these these respiratory disease type um, rabbit cases.
0: No, my, my main other thing um, was what you mentioned at the beginning that um, that they are emergencies. They clients need to be given a very guarded prognosis, and um, and it's worth um, working them up extensively as the clients will allow you to. Um, because if you if they tick over for any length of time, they they can be a real. Uh, I can't remember the exact word you said, but um, they're they're difficult, very complex cases.
1: Yes, and the only final sort of comment, closing comment, I'd have Mark is I don't know how many of these that are re- are caused by the equivalent of like allergic responses or bronchitis conditions with them. So. um I'm still on the fence about them whether whether we whether you know some some that there might be good paper that somebody produces and we get some hard evidence that yeah rabbits do get chronic you know bronchitis or asthma, asthma or allergic type conditions or, or no it doesn't exist as an entity. To any extent in rabbits, Mark, um, because I just don't know um, with them, and I'm uneasy about the fact that I don't know whether or not we do see these conditions. Like, a, you know, we we had two bit of a run on. We had two or well, two um, cats with <laughs> with asthma re- recently that were absolutely classic for it. You know, they had eosinophilia and classic, really severe lung changes, and and a, and an incredibly positive um, response and even with follow-up radiographs with um, um, prednisolone, course, um, with them and our sort of classic allergic responses um, or asthma responses chronic bronchitis slash asthma. um What's your thoughts on that in in rabbits? Do you think it's there, or we're just not seeing them, or we just don't know? I think that the
0: that when you were saying about the doing the scope that you did, um, and you saw the edematous um, laryngeal area, I think, um, I do think we see some, um, uh, I don't know whether it's always allergic or sometimes irritant. Um, we're always got to be aware of those ammonia-rich bedding, um, uh, you know the. The hutch that hasn't been cleaned out, and um, the ammonia in the bedding searing the respiratory tract and causing problems. But um, I do think you know any animal that um, that has a immune system and a respiratory tract has the potential to have allergic uh, tracheitis or bronchitis, and um, and we have had one or two cases that seem to respond very. Well. We would never use. Uh, Corticosteroids in them, but we have used antihistamines in a number of uh, rabbits that we thought had these problems, and um, and uh, yeah, they have they have seemed to improve. So I think I I'm on I'm coming down on the side that some rabbits do have um, allergic
1: reactions in their respiratory tract. Yes, well, I can't disagree with you, Mark. <laughs> I cannot disagree with you, and I think on that note. We'll say huru from the gurus and we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet
0: Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us by email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi.